The following sermon is from the pulpit ministry of the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, we come now to the time in God's Word. Let me invite you to reach out for a Bible and open it with me. Uh, to open together to 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 15. If uh, you want to reach out for a blue pew Bible, there's one nearby you. I hope within arm's reach, and you can find that on page 961. If you have a black large print Bible, that's on page 1142. Students, your study Bible, those page numbers. And children, if you have your Bibles as well, because we know that you're learning to, to love God's Word and read your Bible and bring it to church, you can turn there with us as well. Everyone hopefully uh, can open God's word with us together so that we can see it, receive it as it is given to us. We are a Bible-believing church. We believe and confess that God's word is our authority, our final authority for all things, for our life, for our faith. And so we want to give honor to God's word. And so just before I read it, let me pray that we might receive it as it is given to us, as it's the inspired word of God. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you and praise you on this Easter morning for the wonder of the resurrection and for the power of the scriptures that testify to us about the truth of the resurrection. And so, Lord, this morning as we approach your word, as we have it open before us, We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive the things that you have given to us, that we may believe and trust and live in humble obedience to your truth. Lord, send your Holy Spirit that so moved the Apostle Paul to record these words, that he might flow also through our hearts and in our minds, that we might believe. So, Lord, be amongst us, we pray, in Jesus' name, illuminating our minds. Amen. Now hear God's word from 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, the first five verses, and then skipping to 12 through verse 20. This is the word of God. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. And on into verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile 
and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever and ever. Let me encourage you to keep that Bible open because we're going to be looking at this text in some detail. But first, thinking about this question that I think everyone should be asking on an Easter morning, but really at any point, it's always relevant. Does the resurrection matter? Does the resurrection matter? I'm sure uh, to some degree, because you're seated here and you've come to church this morning, in some way or another, you would answer that question, uh, yes, of course it does. But what I, what I really want to focus on this morning is, does the resurrection really matter in utmost significance? That if you were to take the resurrection out of the picture, would the gospel still be good news? If there is no resurrection, will the gospel still be good news? Will the resurrection matter to you tonight? Will it matter to you Monday morning? Will it matter to you when you're at work and frustrated? Will it matter to you when you're at home and things in your family life aren't as you hoped that they would be? Will it matter to you a year from now and ten years from now? And most importantly, will the resurrection of Jesus Christ matter to you when you stand on that precipice between life and death? Does the resurrection really matter? I remember growing up going to Easter services with recognition that this event was somehow unique and set apart from other Sundays. But besides having to get up earlier and wear fancier clothes, it really meant nothing to me. And what complicated that even more so for a young mind uh, was that I grew up in a church where the leadership of the church had no problem whatsoever considering the resurrection of Jesus something of a spiritual metaphor. That the resurrection represented something, but that it wasn't an actual resurrection. It was, it was more of a, a, a fable or a tale that represents something spiritually significant, but not historical. Now, if there's any confusion, let me assure you completely that uh, you, you won't hear anything like that this morning. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrected from the grave, literally, physically, historically, raised to heaven eternally, and coming again. Paul explains that not only was Jesus, uh, having died for our sins, was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, but that He also appeared to the twelve to five hundred eyewitnesses, that He lives right now at the Father's right hand, awaiting the day of His glorious return. And, and we believe that. We believe that sincerely with all of our hearts. And Paul is writing here in the book of 1 Corinthians to explain why, to explain why we should believe that. Not just because our parents do or our grandparents have or because we come to church on Easter. Paul is concerned to uh, give conviction to the faith that Christ is raised and why that matters so much for us. 
Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fundamental keystone of the entire Christian faith. There is no Christian truth. There is no Christian gospel. There is no Christian religion if the resurrection is not true. It's fundamental to everything. But it was, even in the very first century, a topic that was something of a skeptic's playground. The topic of resurrection invited, it seemed, scorn from skeptics heaping their disagreements and their denials on the reality of the resurrection, which in fact is not unlike the present day and what has never been uh, not true at any point in time in history that people struggle to believe what this means. Because if you think about it, don't be ashamed of the fact that there is sheer audacity to this claim. Jesus Christ was dead and is alive. We say that without shame, despite the audacity of the claim. Paul is writing to a city named Corinth, which is a major city in Greek culture, a city that was uh, filled with uh, all sorts of the intersections of uh, marvelous Greek culture, especially the intelligentsia, the academies, uh, really the most academic of Greek culture there in Corinth especially. And Paul is writing to a church that finds itself in a culture that is struggling to receive the truth of the resurrection, not only the truth of the resurrection of Jesus in particular, but in general, the idea of resurrection. The idea that there is life beyond this life, afterlife, eternal life, whatever you want to call it, Paul addresses the issue of life after death here in this chapter. Now, let me give you a concession quickly before we look at this text. Uh, You might be interested to know that in no gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, there is not a single eyewitness of Jesus walking out of the tomb. There is no eyewitness account of Jesus walking out of the tomb. There is eyewitness accounts of the tomb being empty, the grave clothes being folded and put in their place, and the appearances of the resurrected Christ. And so the testimony of the gospel accounts that Paul is applying here in 1 Corinthians is not that we saw Jesus walk out of the tomb, but rather the tomb is empty and we saw Jesus later on, which poses the question, will you believe the fact that Jesus came out of the tomb? Will you believe that Jesus is alive? What's interesting also is that uh, there is the famous ancient historian named Josephus who writes about this reality in history because it is historical fact. Jesus uh, comes out of the tomb and things happen. And this historian writes about it even in secular history. He writes this. He says, About this time there lived Jesus who was a wise man for he was the one who performed surprising deeds, a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. And he drew over many Jews and many of the Greeks, but he was the Messiah, he claimed. And when, upon the accusation of the principal men of Judaism, Pilate had condemned him to a cross, those who had first come to love him did not cease to believe in him. For he appeared to them again 
spending a third day restored to life. Listen to this. He says, And the tribe of the Christians, so-called, has still not to this day disappeared. The tribe of Christians. Josephus is talking about in the first century, you. The tribe of Christians. If this was a lie, Christianity uh, would not exist. If it's founded upon a lie, it certainly would have fizzled out. And what Paul is writing about here in 1 Corinthians 15 is that he is explaining that the resurrection of Jesus reveals that there are certain realities to be enjoyed by the people of God. That because the tomb is empty and because Jesus is alive, there are things that we as Christian believers must grab hold of for assurances for the life of faith, living and trusting in a risen Messiah. Now, but look at the text, particularly in verses 12 through 20 is where we're going to be. Notice that when Paul is talking about the idea of the resurrection of the dead, he's first talking about it in the idea of a negative connotation. He's saying that if Jesus is not resurrected, if Jesus is dead, then these things are not true. So if Easter is a lie, these things are not true. Now look at him quickly, just summarize him very fast. In verse 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. It's worthless to stand up here and talk to you. In verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is in vain. The fact that you believe in a lie. In verse 15, if Christ has not been raised, then we are misrepresenting God that is bearing false witness against the truth of God. In verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 18, if Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Verse 19, if Christ has not been raised, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Again, Paul is saying that because the resurrection is the keystone of the Christian life, and the Christian faith, if it's not true, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a lie, then all these things go out the window, these six things, if Jesus remains under the power of the grave, particularly the fact that you are in the last place you should be today, if this is a lie. But again, when you look at verse 20, when you look ahead into verse 20, we see the truth that we have already declared to one another this morning. And we say it again with clarity. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen from the tomb. He is risen and risen indeed. And because he is risen, all these things that Paul talks about here as potential liabilities, if this is a lie, are actually seen to be not liabilities at all, but rather assets. The things that are ours as the people of God because Christ is risen. Because it is true, all these things are ours. And so what we want to do here in this text is we're going to take these negative things and flip them and make them positive and see exactly what is ours because Christ is risen. We can group these things into at least, I think, three categories. And I want you to understand that these things are for us assurances confidences that we must know and grab hold of in order to help us in our faith. So these are three things 
three resurrection assurances that Easter offers to us. They're going to be something of substance and message and hope. Substance, message, and hope of the Christian faith. So, first of all, look again in verses 14 to 16. Look down at the text and notice that here Paul is talking about the substance of the Christian faith. And the substance of the Christian faith is true. The substance of the Christian faith is true. Again, everything hinges on the resurrection. All of Jesus' teachings, all of his prophecies, all of his purported miracles hinge on this main reality. Again, there are, there are some who are of the opinion about Jesus that, that they're willing to disregard his divinity, disregard his claims of resurrection, but still appreciate the fact that in and of himself, he's a good teacher and he teaches good morals and he is you know, a good figure to emulate positively in my life. But actually, in reality, if Jesus is not who he says he is and doesn't do what he said he will do, he's not a good teacher, he's a liar. And there's no, there's no virtue in following a liar. In fact, three times in the gospel narratives, Jesus tells his disciples that the Son of Man is going to be handed over to wicked men, be killed, and in three days rise. He said that. And when the woman, the women who came to care for Jesus' body, found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty, after being initially startled and amazed at what they saw, the scripture tells us that they remembered what he had said. Jesus said he would do this. And what that means for Paul here is he's explaining the fact. Paul says that if Jesus is not risen, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, and we are false witnesses about God. Again, why are you here? (laughs) This is the last place on earth I would be if the resurrection is not a reality. And that's important to think about because, of course, there are those who think that our faith in Jesus Christ is just some kind of meaningless attempt of futility to find significance in an otherwise insignificant life. Religion is just some kind of crutch that is utterly meaningless to help us cope in life. That's what someone, maybe you remember Karl Marx, perhaps, the great philosopher, it seems. That's what he would have you believe. This is what Karl Marx said about the Christian faith. He said... Religion is the sigh of the oppressed culture, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of a soulless condition. Religion is the opioid of the masses. You can't cope with your life. And so religion is like your opium that you turn to as a drug. But Paul intersects that idea, speaking about reality, that because Jesus is risen... That means that the substance of the claims of the Christian faith are true. The substance of the Christian faith is true that Jesus is exactly who he said he is and has done exactly what he said he would do. And when we find Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life, those are not suggestions or metaphors. They are reality. And what that means then is that Christianity is not among a conglomeration of ways to approach God, but that Jesus Christ is Himself the only Savior and the only means of approaching the Father. And that Christian believers who believe that are in fact accurate witnesses about the reality of God. Now, this is the Apostle Paul who writes this. 
The Apostle Paul, who writes these things, who was himself once a persecutor of the church, literally a terrorist who made it his business to execute Christians, going out into the Mediterranean world and finding groups of Christians to kill them. Until one day, as he's on the way to stamp out a group of Christians, the risen Lord Jesus appears to him in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, and and Paul sees him, and his life is dramatically changed. And the man who was once the most ardent persecutor of the church becomes its most faithful apostle. This man who is, again, among the intellectual elite of Jewish culture, refined in the best schools, finds that true knowledge and truth is in Jesus Christ, who is willing to suffer persecution, martyrdom, death for the name of Jesus. The Christian faith is not a falsehood. It is a truth, and that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, Hopefully, if you've been around our church in the last year and a half, you have heard the name Andrew Brunson. Andrew Brunson is a minister in our own denomination. He's a pastor of a very small church plant of about 25 members, and the name of his church is Resurrection Church in Izmir, Turkey. And today is his 542nd day in prison under false accusations of a coup against the Turkish government. And he would be gladly released if he would but only deny the Lord Jesus. But he will not because he cannot And Paul is saying that we who have seen the Lord Jesus apprehend him as true and we cannot deny him either because the substance of the Christian faith is true. Secondly, notice in verse 17, perhaps most importantly, verse 17, that the message of the Christian faith is grace. The message of the Christian faith is grace. Notice what else hangs in the balance of the resurrection, verse 17, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins hangs in the balance of Christ's resurrection. That if Christ has not been raised, then not only is your faith worthless and futile and meaningless, but tragically, verse 17, then we are still in our sins. If there's no substitute, if there's no Savior, then that means that God will count my sins against me. That means that, that I must answer for my rebellion against my Creator. If there is no Savior, that my debt will be collected upon and my sins will be punished, every single one of them, if Christ has not been raised. But because Christ has been raised, all those who trust in Him are no longer in their sins. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was because His sacrifice was accepted by the Father, vindicated by the Father. What that means is that there is not one single sin, not even the smallest sin in your life, that will keep you from the love of the Father because of what the Son has done. That you are free from all your guilt and punishment. And the thing that I keep coming back to in thinking about this, and I believe that we should reflect on this more fully, is that... If your sin was too much, 
You know, people think that. They say, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. I'm not counted among the kind of people that could be forgiven. But if your sins were too much to be forgiven, then Jesus would still be in the tomb. But he is not. And so your sins can be forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That the sweetest news of all is that those who look by faith to the Lord Jesus as their Savior find that the gospel message is a message of grace for all who believe. And if you do not trust in the Lord Jesus, if you are here today to placate a relative, making them happy by attending an Easter service, which is kind of you to not cause disruption in your family, that's very virtuous of you, but if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you are still in your sins. But the greatest news of all is that you don't have to be. Romans 10, 9 says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is raised, you shall be saved, saved from your guilt, saved from your failure, saved from all your sins, because the message of the Christian faith is grace. Grace for the sinner through Jesus Christ, who was raised to assure us that every single one of our sins are, may, and will be forgiven because of what He has done. And then finally... In verses 18 and 19, notice the substance of the Christian faith is true. The message of the Christian faith is grace. And now in verse 18 and 19, the hope, the hope of the Christian faith is eternal. Notice he says, verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What's he talking about? He's talking about your loved ones. He's talking about your friends. He's talking about those whom you have mourned. Those whom we have stood by the graveside and departed without them. Paul explains that resurrection, resurrection is the death of death. Resurrection is the death of death because Christ coming out of the tomb has broken the power of death because he has removed the curse of sin, which is death. And what that means then, Paul says, is that those who have died in faith, trusting the Lord Jesus, have not perished. They have not passed on into eternal nothingness, the ceasing of existence or whatever you want to call it. They have not perished. Because again, the Bible describes death for the believer as a sleep where the body sleeps and goes into the ground. The soul departs and goes to be immediately in the presence of Jesus Christ. And one day on the day of his glorious return, body is going to be raised, reunited with soul in a glorious body made for the physical dwelling in the new heavens and new earth for all eternity. There is no perishing for those who are in Christ. And what that means then is that we speak of the church in two capacities. We speak of the church on earth and we speak of the church in heaven. The church on earth, we call it the church militant. We've got work to do. We've got things to do. There's a mission to do. There's, there's places where the name of Jesus is not known. There are people in our own community who don't know the gospel. We have a job to do. 
but we are joined in celebrating the praise of Jesus by the church in heaven that's called the church triumphant, who their faith has been vindicated. They have not perished. Their faith has been turned to sight. And they sing glorious songs like these in Revelation 5. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The resurrection is true and therefore we have hope not just for today but for tomorrow and our eternal tomorrow. Notice what he says in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, meaning if this is is it, right? If this is all that there is, then we are of all people most to be pitied. If the resurrection is a lie, then the most pathetic people in Rock Island County are the people seated next to you. Because Jesus is risen from the tomb, we have hope in this life and in the life to come. And rather than being pitied, the truth of the matter is that the Christian believer is actually the envy of the one who finds no hope in this life. There is something unique about you When you have joy that goes beyond the grave and when you have hope in the face of grief, there's something unique about you that is envied rather than being pitied. Paul says all these things are true for us. Namely, that the empty tomb of Jesus Christ is full of assurance for you as a believer. The empty tomb is full of assurance that the Christian faith is true, that the Christian message is all of grace, and the Christian hope is an eternal hope. If the resurrection didn't happen, then nothing matters. But because the resurrection did happen, it matters most of all. And Paul, through the Spirit of God, is calling you to believe. And if you have believed, to affirm again your faith in the resurrected Messiah who died for all of your sins, who set you free in this life to live for Him with the hope of one day living with Him for all eternity. On this Easter, by the Spirit of God, set your eyes on the risen Christ and say, with all the hosts of heaven, Hallelujah, what a Savior. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth, the resurrected Christ. Help us by your Holy Spirit to see him, to know him, and to love him, and to confess with all your people throughout time and history that Jesus is alive. We thank you for that in the risen name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org or give us a call at 309-795-1713.